You are listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Century Baptist Church exists to grow and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Uh, always have, uh, always will. It's, what we need to understand, though, is, is that it's not about an organization and what an organization wants. Uh, Century Baptist Church is, is a community of people brought together because of our love for Christ and the mission that He has for us. And so it's so much more about us as just a, a big family doing what it is that we're called to do than it is about what an organization desires. Uh, the organization of Century Baptist Church is only here to help support the family of Century Baptist Church to do what we're called to do, to go and to make disciples. I, I would imagine that statistics are, um, are, are pretty consistent across the board, but um, I was reading one in the New York Times, and it says that 60% of Americans uh, are, were insecure about ourselves for various reasons. But 85% of, of Christians uh, in a study that was done uh, say that we have low self-esteem. 85% of us, which should be encouraging to all of us, right? That, that uh, if, if you feel like oftentimes that you're not enough, that you could be better, uh, one, uh, so is everybody around you. Everybody feels really that same way. It's when we truly understand that when we come to know Christ, when Christ dwells within us, when he lives within us, he gives us, one, a new identity, so the life we live isn't ours anymore. The life that we live is now what we just sang about, where we get to magnify Him, more of Him and less of me. Not because I think less of me, but because I think more of who Jesus is and what He wants to do in the world. But, but I, I can't help but wonder, uh, as I look continually at, at statistics all of the time, that in the American church today, this, I'm not trying to be, start off negative in any way, but only 5% of those that profess to be Christians would say that they are in some type of a discipling relationship. In other words, discipleship is, as we talk about, is investing into the life of another person, the life that you know about Jesus, so that they can grow in, his, in their faith as well and in their relationship with him. And so disciples make disciples. So discipleship is, is not private, although, again, 65% of Christians today say that your spiritual life is private and should be kept that. There is nothing in Scripture, nothing in Scripture that says that your spiritual life is to be kept private. It is to be lived out in community, and it is to be spread. That's, that's why we are here, to go and make Disciples, to tell everybody about the love of Jesus Christ, his redeeming love, and what it is that he could do for our souls, for our lives, and for people's eternity. We cannot keep it quiet. Why are we keeping it quiet? I would go back to say it's because we think so little of ourselves. We, we've all got self-esteem issues at one level or another. I hear people all the time say, I, I don't know, when it comes to evangelism, I would share my faith, but I just don't know what to say. We know what to say. Actually, Scripture says 
You don't even need to know what to say. You just enter into the conversation and watch what the Holy Spirit will do in you. He'll bring back the words that you have hidden in your heart. We just have to be obedient. The problem is, is that I think we just doubt ourselves. That we don't want to enter into those conversations because we think so low of ourselves. So today, let me encourage you from uh, Matthew chapter 13. To continue, we're continuing in the parables of what Jesus has to say about the kingdom of, of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, as Jesus has been talking about, is a bit of a foreign concept, at least the way, in, the way Jesus is explaining it to his disciples and to the people. Their history as uh, the Jewish people always believed that when their Messiah would come, as they read through things like Daniel chapter 7, is that he is going to come and be a conquering king. The evil in the world is going to be gotten rid of, but they thought that it was going to be by force, by leading a, a massive military and, and creating this pure nation for themselves. But they couldn't wrap their minds around this message that Jesus proclaiming to be the Messiah, the Savior, the promised one, and the king, that he would lead from a position of grace and compassion and self-sacrifice. What Jesus continually says as he's teaching them then about the kingdom of heaven, which they all thought was going to be someday, which we can all get caught up in as well, right? We're all just here killing time until someday when the new heaven and the new earth exists. That is going to happen. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven, that, that's when it will be ultimately fulfilled. But today, the kingdom of heaven is now. That's why he said when you pray, pray on earth as it is in heaven. Because he's over all things. He is in control of all things. Jesus is king. And he works in this world. And he works in our lives. And he also works through our lives to spread the message of the kingdom so that more and more people can step into it. <clears throat> so this causes us to ask the question, which is probably the same question that the disciples had. As early on in, in their relationship with Christ and following him, they weren't following him for very long. When all of a sudden he said, okay, here's, I got some homework for us today, boys. I'm going to send you out two by two. You're going to go door to door uh, into different villages. And I want you to proclaim the truth of this message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. And you can imagine what would have probably been going through their minds. Well, man, the last time I went to that village, I was a tax collector and I was stealing people's money. They hate me there. They're going to kill me. Or people only know me as kind of this dirty fisherman out on the lake. Are they going to actually want me to come in and sit on their furniture, and are they going to feed me? Probably a lot of self-doubt. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. The power that you need is within you. I've given it to you. Authority is being given to you to go out and do what it is that you're called to do. But for us today, if 85% of us, myself included, I'll be the first to admit it, if we struggle with self-esteem issues, I find great encouragement in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That says God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That he uses the things that aren't to proclaim the things that are. He uses the low and the despised 
to do his work in the kingdom of heaven here. Let this be an encouragement for us today as we go to Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 31 to 35. So here we go. Let's stand together as I read this. If you're interested, later on today, Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 13 are parallel passages uh, recording Jesus saying the same thing. But this is what he says, starting in verse 31. Jesus put another parable before them, or that is the crowd, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I pray that you would move in a mighty way in each and every one of our hearts this morning. I pray that the words that are heard are the words that, that you are speaking. So Holy Spirit, this is your time uh, to do what it is that you need to do in each and every one of our hearts. And so uh, may you be honored and glorified, God, in all that takes place. Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> I want this to be an encouragement for us today, knowing that so many of us doubt ourselves, and yet Jesus said, it's up to you to go and to proclaim the kingdom, to, to spread this message. So hopefully today, this will be encouragement that we can somewhat get over ourselves and dig deeper to understand that it's, that it's Christ living through us. And so he uses a couple of parables to help us understand the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, as it gets spread. Well, what's it like? Because this doesn't seem like the kingdom of heaven that we imagined of a conquering king. How in the world are you going to, how in the world is your, is your name going to be proclaimed over all the earth? And Jesus said, well, it's like this. It's, it's like a, a grain of a mustard seed that gets planted in the ground and begins uh, to grow. One of the smallest seeds in the world. <coughs> Excuse me, I got a wicked cough today. Yeah, a mustard seed is about the size of, uh, it's about a millimeter in diameter, and it would take about 750 uh, mustard seeds to, uh, to equal the weight of a paper clip. That's how tiny they are. Jesus, that, that's what Jesus wants us to understand. Uh, that, that it starts out really, really small, almost insignificant or minuscule. But it grows into uh, to something mighty. When, a, when a, a seed is planted and put into the ground and it's watered, a seed has a shell around it. And what happens is that water begins to slowly seep through kind of the outward skin of that shell and cells get activated. They begin to grow. Uh, and, and the first thing that happens uh, with a mustard seed is it cracks from the bottom. And the first thing, this tiny little root pops out. And I love this 
about Jesus choosing the mustard seed as an example because the, the name uh, for the root that pops out first out of a mustard seed is a radical. I think that's, that's such, such a great application for us that when we understand the gospel, when the gospel is, is given to us, uh, it breaks open who we are and it should do nothing but des- uh, cause us to desire to just go all out. I have been, I was a sinner. I'm saved by grace out of nothing that I've done. The mercy of God. He found me. He sought after me. He saved me. He rescued me. He sent his son for me. I want to tell the world uh, about this incredible God that I have. So the radical breaks out. uh, And in a mustard seed, again, Jesus, his great teacher, a mustard seed, uh, you know how long it takes to, uh, to germinate underground when it gets buried in the ground before it comes to life? How many days do you think it takes? Three, right? Three days in the ground, breaks open, and all of a sudden something radical starts to happen. And then it, uh, Jesus goes on to say when it, when it sprouts, it grows up. That takes a little bit of time. But when it is full grown, birds of the air uh, begin to find shelter in its branches. Uh, when a mustard seed, that tiny little thing, when that sprouts and it grows, it's about between 10 and 12 feet high. It becomes this massive, massive bush. I was talking to somebody between services. They came up and, uh, and, and said that um, uh, here in North Dakota, they've paid attention to their mustard bushes, I guess that's what they're called, that, that uh, when they grow. And, and amazing that in the winter, that's where all of the giant jackrabbits go uh, to get away from the storm and to bury in. You find shelter uh, underneath this. That's what Jesus is, is talking uh, about. What an encouragement uh, to the disciples. What an encouragement to us. The disciples, as we've read in the first about 10 chapters of, of Matthew, so far as they've decided to follow Jesus, everywhere they go, they face... Um, uh, absolute persecution, anger by the religious leaders. They're, they're told that they're, that they're always doing the wrong thing. They doubt their leader, which has to cause you to start to doubt uh, yourself. They've heard things like, uh, who is this guy? How come we've never heard of him? In our, in our uppity you know, education circles, we've never heard of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth? No, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son? There's no way that, that he could be who he claims to be. And you can imagine being a disciple and following after him, but they believe in him. Because there's something about the message. There's something about the man and the way in which he lives his life that they're attracted to. The reason that God does it all this way, Scripture tells us it's it's so that his power could be put on display and it's the same reason why god you can use us right how can he use somebody who fill in the blank of however you feel about yourself and god says i'm using you because my power can be on full display in your life because you don't think much of yourself but i do I see what I can do in you, and I see what I can do through you. And that's exactly what he did with 
each and every one of those disciples. John Calvin says God works by unexpected progress. He's at work doing things when we, when we don't see it. Maybe when we don't even believe it, it's happening, but God is at work. It started with an investment into 12 kind of throwaway teenage kids that Jesus invested in, and, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we have uh, a world-changing movement that still exists today. So three days for a mustard seed to germinate begin to grow, reaching higher than, than 10 feet. But not a whole lot of people pay attention to what's going on in between that. Right? A seed gets put in the ground, a little bit forgotten about. It gets watered, and then it it's, takes time. It's not like overnight, all of a sudden, there's a 12-foot tree that animals are finding peace in and safety in. There's just time from a tiny seed, but it grows to something enormous, strong enough to hold God's creatures. So when you see small, when you think small, Realize what, it, what it's becoming, what it can do. Be patient and be faithful. And just be and let the gospel work in you and through you so that it can grow. The, 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 the illustration of the bush is not our lives. It's the kingdom. It, it begins to spread if, if we... If we just allow it to. That's what God does. And then he takes the things that are unseen and he makes them seen. He continues the parable with another really short parable talking about uh, leaven. He says it's like a leaven that a, that a woman took and added to three measures of flour. Now, if you are a, a student of scripture, don't get ahead of me or actually don't get behind me. Uh, because leaven is... All throughout the Old Testament when it's mentioned is mentioned in, as an illustration for sin. Because leaven or, or the yeast that was used to make bread was such a fine powder that it would get absolutely everywhere. And it actually grows kind of on everything. And so God used it as an illustration for, for sin in the Old Testament. You go back to Exodus as God is preparing to, to rescue his people out of Egypt. And talking about the Passover, he says, here's what I want you to do. Because God does all of these things symbolically. And he said, leading up to it, I want you to cleanse your entire house of leaven. I want you to get rid of that bacteria that is in your home because it grows on everything. So clean your house corner to corner. And as you prepare to go, I want you to prepare bread, but do not make it leavened bread because you do not have time to wait for it to rise. So make unleavened bread, because when it's time to go, it's time to go. And, and it, was, it was remembered all throughout Jewish history uh, as they celebrate Passover, eating unleavened bread, to be reminded that, that not only that God just took them uh, in one swift movement as the angel of the Lord came through that nation, but also it was a reminder that God is the one that, that calls us to come to himself and ask him to cleanse us of our sins. Important fact, but we can't put it into Jesus' illustration today. This is the only time in Scripture 
80, 88 times leaven is talked about uh, outside of the actual leaven used to make bread. 87 times, uh, 88 times it's talked about, 87 of them from a negative perspective. Used to illustrate sin one time to illustrate something good. That's here in Jesus' parable. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a woman that takes leaven and adds it to three measures of flour. Yeast or leaven is a plant-like microorganism. As soon as it hits the flour, it begins to, to really to eat away at that ground-up grain or corn, uh, and it creates a gas. Then through that interaction, the dough begins to expand and begins to, to rise. Yeast is the acting agent that's inside of the leaven, Many of you probably know this if you are a regular bread baker, um, but, but a lot of people uh, to this day, maybe if you make bread a lot, you have a starter dough, yes? Anybody in here have starter doughs sitting in their fridge in their house? Nobody? Because you all have bread machines. Margo, thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Uh, um, but, but that's typically how a, a really good batch of bread is made is that that when you bake a batch, then you cut off a small little amount that already has all the ingredients that you need and you set it aside. Then when it comes time to bake the next loaf of bread, you take that little piece, you put it with uh, your ingredients, the flour, and it begins to cause a reaction and you just keep kneading it until all of a sudden you've got a, a, a new uh, batch of bread. And then you cut a little piece off, that becomes a starter for your next batch. I don't know how many of you have ever been to San Francisco. There's an incredible restaurant down on the pier called the Boudin Bakery and sort of the Boudin Bread Company. And so if you ever get to go there, do it. But let me say, eat your bread inside because I got myself a nice bowl of soup inside of a bread bowl, went and sat outside, and pelicans and seagulls came and took it right out of my hands. And so, um, but, but the, the, the idea is for the, from the Boudin Bakery, they started in 1849. It's now 2023. Uh, every batch of bread that they make every day is made from a starter dough uh, from the very first batch that they made in 1849. Right? Isn't that incredible? Uh, because th that's how much power there is inside of uh, this leaven. And Jesus says, so it's like a woman who takes the leaven and adds it to three measures of flour. There it is again, that number three. And this whole idea that we understand that, that, that when, when the gospel is added to what seems as though it is nothing, it becomes something. But this recipe that, that Jesus uses, actually when he would have spoken this, that she takes the leaven, she adds it to three measures of flour for a good Jewish student or anybody in the Jewish community that grew up learning the scriptures would be, which would be everybody, a story from the book of Genesis would pop back into their minds. It's a story of Abraham and Sarah. It's a crazy story. Abraham one day gets visited by a group of angels and he runs to find his wife and he's like, Sarah, you got to make, you got to make some food. We have really important people here. And so it says that Sarah went and she added leaven to three measures of flour or three measures of flour is, is about five quarts. I think of flour, that's a lot. They say that when, it, when it's all said and done, could feed like up to a, to a hundred people. So Jesus has this idea as well, that, that when a small bit of leaven is added to uh, a, a pile of flour, 
uh, all of a sudden it, it can feed the masses. Just like a bush can handle all of these animals, there's an idea here of how it can spread. But Jesus says she takes that leaven, adds it to the flour, and after working it through, right, there, there's some kneading that needs to take place. There's uh, some work that needs to take place, some molding and some shaping. In, in our spiritual life, that process is called sanctification, that every day we are being formed and shaped more and more into the image of Christ if we live a life of obedience. Galatians 6, 9 is an encouragement to us during that kneading process that goes on in our lives. We, we understand the gospel. Our life is changed and we want to live and be like Christ. We want others to, the discipleship process. We want others to become more like Jesus, but there can be some pretty painful days, seasons, where maybe we want to throw our hands up and we want to give up. I'm not, I'm, I'm never going to be able to, to get my, my head and my hands around this following Jesus thing. I think it's a great encouragement from this parable. Jesus said that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That, that when, when the really good, when life gets added to that which has no life, and after it has been worked through, right, all of a sudden it grows to the point where it can feed the masses. A lot of us just have to admit right now that we're in the kneading process, right? We're in the molding process. We're in the shaping process. And, and, and now we have to step up and go, yeah, but, it, but now it's time to rise. It's time to do what I've been called to do is to go and make disciples uh, and to feed uh, the masses. We just can't give up. Be patient. God's at work. He knows what he's doing. I say that for, so that we can all say that to ourselves. Be patient. God's at work. If you have Christ, you have the gospel, you have everything that you need. Be bold, be confident in it, and just say, okay, God, work. Work in me and work through me. For those of you with children in your homes, same thing. Be patient. God's molding them. He's shaping them, and he's using you to speak into their lives. Kids, you too are disciple-makers. You are not too young to tell people about Jesus and to show your friends how to live for Christ. You're not too small. Nobody's too big, too old. We can do this. Because it all comes from, as Jesus said, it comes from what's within the seed. It comes from what, what's within the leaven. The active, acting power of Jesus Christ in each and every one of us that grows us and pushes us from being dormant to dynamic. We need to be reminded that the power of the gospel within us. When, when we can, can understand that the same power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that goes with us to be able to fight against sin, uh, to turn away from it, as well as to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, there is no limit to what God will do through your life. Jesus' illustration on its own. Here's five quarts of flour. That is a terrible meal. Gross. But, but when, when the leaven is added to it, something so small, it's the power that is within it that begins to activate all of the 
the sugars that are within the flour, the grains that are within the flour, gives it its flavor and get it, gives it its texture and gives us something pretty fantastic. Maybe that's why Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Like the Word of God, we're told in the book of Hebrews, the Word of God is living and it is active. When, when put into our lives, it pierces bone and marrow, it digs to our spirit, and it does something within us. In the Gospel, Romans 1.16 says, the Gospel, the good news of Jesus, not just the knowledge of it, but the actual Gospel at work in our lives is the power for being saved. And the power to change lives. We're just called to take it from within our lives and to give it to someone else so that their life can bring the bread of life to all. The continued encouragement that we find in this text is, is all about what happens, what happens when. What happens when we are obedient to God's call in our life, to do what it is that He's called us uh, to do? What happens when we recognize the redeeming power of Jesus, His message? Well, what happens is that it waters our soul. It breaks through that hard shell that's out there. We break out of the old way of living and we become rooted in Christ and we become radical for this message of global impact and, and we begin to grow. We grow as disciples, we grow as disciple makers because that's, that's what, when we've looked at this, so far all the parables that Jesus has given are all about what? They're all about growth. And growth takes time. Growth takes the right environment that we dwell in. But we're growing. And so today, I, didn't, I don't want to open up the message by, with all this Debbie Downer stuff about nobody's doing anything. Because we're all growing. But are, are we growing in the right direction? Are we growing so that those out in the world can know who Christ is? can find peace in this message. Where are you at in all of this? Stories are going to change. Jesus' parables are going to change, but they're going to continually be about don't stop growing. Are you able to see that God can do great things with you, even if you feel like you're not worthy to be used? You don't have what it takes. You feel small or you feel invisible. That's what, that's what I love about reading through Scripture. Find me a hero in Scripture that wasn't a nobody until God got a hold of their life and did something incredible with. They were willing. Some of them weren't even willing. No way, God, I'm going to run from you. I don't want to do this. God's like, yeah, I want to use you. Even though you're disobedient, even though you're a runner, even though you think less of yourself, even though other people say terrible things about you, you're the perfect person that I want to use. And if that's the criteria for who God's going to use, people that don't think highly of themselves, things that people talk, people talk about them all the time, right? Sign me up. I'm in, right? Use me. We could all say that. It's how we think about each other. Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of a story right now that is a bit of a mess. I just need to get this taken care of. 
Let me just clean up and straighten up this mess in my life, this relationship, this illness, whatever it is. And God says, the power of the gospel says that I'm going to use that as the tool that's going to, you're going to use to proclaim the gospel to others. I will use your mess. I will redeem your mess. Do we ever think that the mess that we're in maybe is a little bit of that leaven in the flour? This is just a, this is just a mold, a, a, a squishing season. I don't know. That's a good term for it, right? We'll use that. I'm in a squishing season. Get that made on a shirt everywhere you go. But have we ever thought of that, that God might want to use us in the middle of it? Because it's not a might, it's a he does. We've got Christ within us, so we just need to accept that maybe he might even take this mess that we're in, he might even want to break a piece off and help us to walk somebody else through it. God says, wait and see what I'm doing. Because the things that I'm doing, you cannot see. But you'll see the results of it. As the psalmist says, he begins chapter 40, he just says, so I will wait patiently for the Lord. Because I at least know that he hears my cry. And he will lift me up out of this pit that I'm in, and he will set my feet on a firm foundation. So I, I will sing a new song for him. We begin by putting our trust in the process. Right? The gospel's been planted within me. Seems small. That, that's Ultimately, that's the message of this parable, is, is that it's for people to understand that it might not seem like right now, Jesus, the nobody from Nazareth, it doesn't seem like right now that there's this global movement that he's going to, this kingdom reign over the entire universe, starting with this guy that nobody knows, and he's gathered around him a bunch of rejects from around the community. But Jesus says, but trust the process. I know what the Father is up to, and this is going to get big. And this is going to be changing the world. The only way that the world can be changed. So trust the process. Just choose that you're not going to sit dormant because the gospel is not dormant. It is alive. And it is strong and it is not something to keep to ourselves. I love how Paul uh, encourages in Romans 8 to press on. He says, if, if God didn't spare his son, don't you think he's going to give you everything else that you need in life? If he didn't give you the, the most priceless, most expensive, most valuable gift in the world. He gave you that. So everything else is nothing for him to give to you. Why would you ever doubt that he's not providing for you, taking care of you, protecting you, watching over you, leading you through all of these struggles? He's already given up his son's life for you. And he wants you to live into that life with great joy. And so Paul goes on to say, do you know what can stop you from, from God's work in your life? He says, not trials, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not poverty, not danger, not even death, he says. All of these things, if seen from a worldly perspective, causes us to step back and go, well, I'm out. Because this one thing is happening in my life. And it causes us to run into hiding. We, we want to go sit dormant. But if Christ is alive in you, you, you don't have a dormant leaven. It's going to start to grow. It has to. Because that's what it does. And it changes things. Because it's alive 
As Paul says then in verse 37, the gospel alive in us, then believe this. He says, you are more than conquerors. In other words, with the gospel within us, we can go out and do great things because the kingdom is, is building. God is at work. And he says, and I want to use you. In the late 1700s, early 1800s, there was a group of, of people, really small group of people that, that met at church in a tiny village of Clapham in England. And, and they just started talking about this, the, the things that are going on in the world. And, and then they were reading their scriptures and going, I think, I think Jesus actually calls us to go out into the world and to make a difference. And, and Jesus calls us, they felt, calls us to the invisible. To those that maybe don't have a voice, they can't speak for themselves. And one of the men that was in the group uh, rose up and he had a passion uh, for fighting against, he said, I, th I don't think slavery is, is, has anything to do with the gospel. It's anti-gospel. I think Jesus wants us to do something about it. And so, so he made that his thing. His name is William Wilberforce, one of the greatest abolitionists of all time. And, and he would get together with this, this group of people and say, well, what can we do? And they pooled their money together and they worked to rid England of slavery. But as they continued to go, other people in this small group had other passions as well that they were focused on. And so they combined their money and their prayers. They started schools to train young people all over the country. They fought to revise the death penalty in England. They fought against young men who were being basically kidnapped and thrown into military service in rescuing them. They began to regulate the factory conditions that were going on in the country where people were getting sick. They helped to rid the church of prejudice. They funneled their money from just the small group of wealthy people in the group to the poor of their city by going out. They paid off over 14,000 debts of people that had been thrown in jail for incredibly small debts at the time. They started the Society for the Refuge of the destitute that helped people that were leaving prison. As all these people who'd been in prison for a while were leaving, they said, well, we, we've got to walk them through this. We've got to help them to find how, how to live this life that they now are rescued into. They paid off medical bills, thousands of people's medical bills that were in distress. They started hospitals. They fought for improvement in the care of the mentally ill. And they spread the gospel through publications uh, and as well as supporting an endless amount of churches. There is, there is no limit to what God can do when people who have a heart for being Jesus to the world surrender to that and just say, God, move. Do an incredible work. If we have Christ alive in us, we have everything we need to do to do what he's called us to do. As we said, you're not too young. It's not too late. You're not too old. You're not too awkward because you serve under, for, and with the power of King Jesus. Let's pray. So, Father, we, what we ask today is that you would allow this text uh, to seep into our hearts, um, that we would continually be rooted and grounded in you, Jesus, but then to go out and, and to be this message, this light, this salt 
that our world needs so desperately. Give us confidence in you. God who created us, you call us your handiwork, your craftsmanship, your masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. That when we come to know you, that we become your best work. So help us to live into that. Give us boldness in Jesus, who you are and what it is you've done for us. We love you. Amen. Let's stand and close in worship.